When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, welcome back to 50 Shades of Blue. I hope you all had a great weekend and I hope you all are looking forward to a great week. I myself had a pretty solid weekend. Weather's getting better, played a lot of pickleball, hung out, outside. It was just it was just a nice day overall. Oh, I also bought a new car and that was that was a fun experience because I really hit it off with the guy that I bought it from. Uh, we had a lot of mutual friends. He ended up going up, going to Skyline High School, graduated in 2006. We knew a lot of the same people. But that wasn't it. We got into uh, random discussions. Some of it had to do with the gospel, the church, the culture, society. Had a lot of fun talking to him. It was just a blast. I just like getting to know new people. His name's Scott Anderson. Really good guy. Works at Anderson Motor. It is a family business. He is the grandson of the man that started it and just really easy to work with. It was seamless. I basically just upgraded my car by two years because uh, the other one was getting close to 100,000 miles, and I didn't really want to have to deal with any of the ramifications of it getting that high, repairs, things like that. I'd just rather pay a little bit more to have a different car with about 30,000 miles is what I got for longer, and maybe a little bit more bells and whistles. It was actually the exact same car, just two years newer. Anyway, um, fun experience. Thought I might share that. So... Like I said, hope y'all are looking forward to a great week. Everybody's doing well. Y'all are happy and healthy. In today's episode, Chase and I get into uh, Hank Smith maybe getting canceled. And by that, apparently there's a petition going around down at BYU for him to get fired because he was a little bit mean on Twitter to a student at BYU, which, I mean, whatever. The student's an idiot. We get into that. We talk about it. We give a breakdown. I have an interesting history with Hank Smith. He actually has blocked me on Twitter. Um, so you'll just have to see if I have his back or I don't. I lay it all out in the episode. I think you might find it interesting. Um, the whole story is interesting. It's just we're living in an interesting time right now. You know, you can't just say whatever's on your mind. You might lose your livelihood or whatever else. Anyway, we talk about that for the first half. Then we get into this a little bit more BYU because there was a lot of BYU sporting news. Obviously, Dak Wilson went second in the draft. You kind of break that down and kind of how that compares draft-wise to other years of BYU football. Talk a little bit BYU basketball. You know, the norm. And if you're not here for that, then just, you know, maybe get through the first half of the episode and call it good. I take no offense to that. More than anything, I just hope something I have to say might resonate with you. And once again... If you all have new ideas or anything else you might think of that might be interesting for me to talk about or want to come on and talk about it, I'm open. Let's do it. That's great. I hope you all are enjoying this and having a fun time. Uh, if you like it, you know, share it, subscribe, do whatever. Let's get it out there. Let's get people listening, and hopefully it resonates with more and more people. Anyway, if not, no worries. Just enjoy listening. You're good. Hope you all are doing well. And I hope this week is just wonderful for all of you. That's one of my lyrics in the song. There couldn't be a, a prouder older brother than Carlino, me. a bounce to Haas. Haas posting up short corner right to the middle. Fades away. Got yeah! Gotta watch the three. When you do what's right on and off the field, uh, I, I think the Lord steps in and, and uh, plays, a, you know, plays a part in that. Magic happens. All right, Chase. We are back. Um, back at it again. What do you got for us, dude? You, you, you called this meeting. What do you want to talk about? Well, I guess uh, we can kind of go back through a few things you and I were texting about. Uh, Just kidding. You didn't call this meeting. You take things way <laughs> too literally, dude. This is my freaking yeah, podcast, all right? All right. You tell me what we're talking about. <laughs> There's, a, there's one thing that's definitely on my mind. We don't necessarily have to get it to it right now. There is some new BYU sports news, which I think is really interesting, actually. I mean, they had an unprecedentedly high pick, number two, 
with Zach Wilson. We'll get to that later because I know that there's a lot of people that like to listen to this not for the BYU stuff, so I don't want them to feel like they have to just power through and everything because I, I have more interesting topics at hand, I feel like, at least one for sure, and then we'll get to the BYU news, kind of the new stuff going on uh, later on in this episode, and that's when people can tune out or whatever. I don't care, but um, the big one that comes to mind, have you have you followed this Hank Smith stuff at all? Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm the one who uh, uh, notified you about it. <laughs> My so. actually, sorry. <laughs> um, actually, so yeah, it sounds like Hank Smith. Want me to give the background on it, or yeah, please do. So, so it sounds like so the, to give a little bit of context. So, I hate Gen Z, and I don't care if they're conservative or liberal or whatever. Gen Z in general just bothers me. And on Twitter, particularly with the Utah Twitter scene with Gen Z, there's there's like these two groups that hate each other. And a lot of them, I think, are centered around BYU. And you have just the hyper-woke kids that are just constantly out there on the prowl trying to find people to cancel. And then you have a group that refers to themselves as Desnat, which is short for Deseret Nationalists. And it's kind of these hyper-conservative kind of weirdo kids at BYU that are like over the top, like just like almost weirdly conservative. And so yes, but groups are before you get going, actually, let's talk about them for a second, because these, these are an, this is an interesting group. I, I was actually talking about them with my brother-in-law and his son-in-law uh, just recently. And um, I have, so I'm a little dubious of this Desnat group to be honest, because, whoops, because I, I, I understand their agenda is to basically be defenders of what they see as truth, right? Defenders of the gospel, kind of more the Captain Moroni approach to things, which is good. That's definitely important, but I'm not like, there's a lot of them that are anonymous on Twitter. And that to me just is a terrible look. And I think it promotes a lot of, I mean, I don't know, like just they're, they're not really careful with how they word things. I don't like anonymity at all. You know, I have strong opinions. That's why I have this podcast. That's why I like to write things, put them on my site. But being anonymous is just, you're not really your true self. And I feel like some of these Desnat guys aren't really their true selves. They just feel like, let's just fight back, which I have an inherent issue with. And we kind of talked about this on an earlier episode so I am a little skeptical of this Desnat group because I feel like sometimes they might be a little over the top aggressive and there's not really a whole lot of love expressed with what they do. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, from what I understand, the guy that founded the movement is not anonymous, but a lot of his followers on Twitter are, I don't know, maybe he's just having a hard time disassociating himself from those that are on Twitter that claim to be Desnat. I don't know the details, but anyway, that's a little bit of the background on them and a little bit of how I feel. Sorry. Keep going. Oh yeah. And I mean, I don't know if the anonymity is necessarily like terrible. I mean, it, I feel like we live in a time right now where you're not really allowed to publicly profess a lot of things that are not necessarily that controversial 20 years ago. And now you get your, you lose your job or you lose your position at a university for saying some of those things. So I don't know if anonymity itself on the internet is necessarily like inherently a, like a, indictment of someone but yeah i get what you're saying i mean it, it's um, not in and of itself it's not on its face necessarily i just feel like there's enough examples out there when people are anonymous and it's like they're just saying things they don't they don't even mean you know oh yeah and, they, and it's a lot easier just to be an internet troublemaker when you don't have to face the consequences for exactly you say. but you're right uh, not, any, it doesn't mean that if you're anonymous that you're automatically just trying to stir the pot and cause trouble or whatever. I, I agree with that. It's just, it's yeah. just my, that's what makes me somewhat skeptical. So anyway, so anyway, probably too much background on all that, but, but so anyway, so there's a, there's a kid that's really popular on the leftist side of this BYU internet, Twitter group or whatever. And he had said something about to Hank Smith. Uh, I, I, one of these Desnat guys had posted something. And then this kid responded to it and he was like he he basically took a shot at hank smith i don't have it in front of me right now but he took some sort of shot at hank smith directly and then hank smith responded to that tweet uh calling the the leftist kid core whore 
Um, so you're then, actually a little bit wrong, by the way. Uh, so what? So what happened then? So that's one thing I learned recently as well is that he wasn't calling that kid Cora whore. Apparently, that somebody in that in that conversation that you see that got screenshot that the one the back and forth where he called somebody Cora whore got screenshotted, and it looks like he's replying to that Calvin kid who you're talking about. Yeah. And what he's really doing is he's actually calling one of the Desnat guys, Cora whore from what I understand. And that guy even says it on his Twitter. He even said, he's like, Hank Smith was actually calling me Cora whore, but somebody was blocked. I think, I think that Calvin Burke kid blocked the Desnat guy. So that's why his response isn't in there. And it only shows Hank Smith's response to both of them. So it sounds like some, some, some form of a giant misunderstanding occurred then. And then basically left his Twitter, just went after Hank Smith and all these, you know, just mob style tweets coming after him, uh, multiple retweets, thousands of likes, and Hank Smith had to go into hiding and went private. And uh, yeah, he and did then, go into hiding, dude. I don't know. I don't know if there's any updates since then, but that's kind of what happened. So the big update is that apparently there's this like signature stuff going around to try and get him fired from BYU, right? I mean, that's that seems to be what this particular group wants to happen. That you know, I think is led by this Calvin kid who is one of the most vindictive SOBs like you could ever come across on something like Twitter. Like it's crazy. And I think he is a BYU student. Um, he just seems like I mean, you want to talk unloving. Like this guy doesn't I mean, he's he just comes at people left and right, trying to get people canceled, trying to trying to basically be the judge, jury, and executioner for anybody he disagrees with or anybody he thinks that is that disagrees from his own values or whatever. Well, yeah. And he's made open claims to try and change essentially church doctrine from what I understand. Yeah. I think some of that controversy arose between, I don't know to what degree Hank and this kid were involved, but I think uh, Calvin had said something along the lines of you can believe in the church without believing Joseph Smith was a prophet. Or something along those lines, yeah, and I think right. that's where some of the yeah. And, and so he was making this claim that oh, I can be, have a testimony of the church, but believe Joseph Smith was essentially a fraud. And then Hank Smith came at him and said, "No, if Joseph Smith wasn't a prophet, none of this stuff is real. None, none of this, none of the church is legitimate." And then I think he, that's he, kind he was of specifically what maybe, pointing out yeah. some things like if you believe that families can be together forever, then you have to believe Joseph Smith was a prophet because he's the one that facilitated that message he was the one that enabled that to even be new doctrine because that had not existed until this dispensation was king smith's claim which i happen to very much agree with in fact he really kind of came at him and he was had a series of tweets where he's like if if you don't believe in a he said if you don't believe in a heavenly mother or if you if you believe in a heavenly mother then joseph smith was a prophet or i think he was saying the inverse of that if you don't believe joseph smith was a prophet then you don't believe there's a heavenly mother things like that um, or that we have heavenly parents. And the, the funny part to me, and this is why I wanted to bring it up is because I, so I got blocked on Twitter by Hank Smith and, um, and people may hear that and be like, well, what'd you, what'd you do? <laughs> like, what'd you, like, why'd you stir the pot there? And I did, I stirred the pot. I admit that, but, um, multiple times. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, pot stirring has myriad definitions, but, um, for in this case, what I did was that I started, I followed him on Twitter and I saw a lot of these happy, feel goodery tweets. And I had inherent issues with that. And, and I know a lot of people would be like, why? Because he's not bothering anybody. Like, clearly, he's branded himself as the John, by the way, on social media, um, which, by the way, those two have a podcast together. And I listened to an episode and it was, it was, it was interesting. Like, they, they don't do a bad job. Um, but anyway, I ended up writing a blog post on this that lays it all out. If anybody's interested listening to this, I will absolutely tell you. It's just it's just my own name. It's harperdanderson.com. You can find it there. And like one of the tweets, I'll, I'll even read some of them that I kind of took issue with was, he said, I am shocked at the amount of emotional damage, spiritual trauma, and years of heartache one person can cause. Don't use your agency to destroy families. So I'm sitting here thinking like, that's pretty like lip servicey stuff. I don't, I don't understand what the overall point is of having a tweet like that. 
And so I said, so I took his quote or I took his tweet and quoted it and then had my own response. And I said, maybe let's unpack what prompts a person to destroy, as you say, families, et cetera, in the first place. Perhaps it's how tortured they are themselves. Healthy people don't use their agency to destroy families. In other words, how does a statement like this actually help individuals? I just didn't understand what he was trying to do to help people with statements like these. I felt like there was a lot of nuance behind what he's saying here. I don't think somebody wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'm going to destroy a family today, right? Um, and then he said, one of the one, another one that he said was, one of the keys to a happy life, if you disagree with someone, you don't have to tell them or anyone else. And this is where like, I'll get flippant with him. And I, and I did the same thing on Twitter. I said, good point. I mean, Ammon probably shouldn't have gone over to the Lamanites to serve and to preach to them, or Alma the Younger should have never gone to Ammonihah. Oh, wait, dot, dot, dot. You know, obviously mocking the guy. Um, mocking, I don't know if I like saying that. And then maybe it comes across as mocking. I think mocking is a little bit harsh. I I just felt like he could be challenged here and there, where it's like I don't I don't need seminary teachers on Twitter to just you know just say everything is awesome and everything is wonderful. What what I want, and he has a PhD, and I laid out his resume. I did that in the post. I mean, the guy has multiple degrees. Um, an MBA from Utah State, a PhD in educational leadership from BYU. And he, he's clearly a smart guy, and he's probably somewhat of a deep thinker, I would imagine. Good writer, probably reads a lot of stuff. And I feel like he could use you know, his gifts and his talents for better than just this branding himself as this guy that people can go to on Twitter to feel feel good or whatever. I just don't know if it helps really long term. I don't know if it helps people really address their problems. Um, but then again, people are like, well, then what should he do? And then this happens. And that's what's so funny about it is because this happened on Twitter, where he started saying, well, if you, actually, you're wrong, like Joseph Smith facilitated all this, and he starts pointing it out. And then he gets kind of into this spat with this Calvin Burke kid and all of his followers, all of his minions. And that's that's actually the type of Hank Smith I expect. I expect him to be like a real defender of the gospel, like a force to be reckoned with, because I thought he articulated that very well. The, the This points that he had with Joseph Smith, like, yeah, we all knew that, but to say it in that way and to be very forthright about that over Twitter, I think is the more effective version of this guy. And I want to see that. And what was funny is that people had asked me like, oh, what are you going to say about Hank Smith, like getting canceled? Like, how do you feel? And people thought that I just hated Hank Smith just because I wanted to hate Hank Smith. I don't. I, I didn't even ever hate him. I just wanted to challenge him. I wanted him to, you know, be a little deeper in his thoughts. And then I see this and I'm like, this is the type of Hank Smith that I wanted to see the whole time. And then people were kind of disappointed with my response because they were expecting me to just like slam the guy. And I'm like, no, I wanted him to, I wanted him to be challenging, to challenge others and to stand up and to, to be a true defender of the gospel. And so that's what was so funny about this whole issue to me. And um, the fact that he's getting canceled, I, the only problem is that I feel bad because it doesn't seem like he was emotionally ready to deal with it. I mean, he shut down. He, 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 he blocked his Twitter from everybody that doesn't follow him already. And he's on lockdown. The guy's essentially unreachable. But anyway, am I missing anything here? I'm sorry. I know I went just on this tangent on my own for like five minutes, but am I missing anything? Not, no, I think that pretty much sums up what happened there. I, I think the takeaway from this is playing because i feel like hank smith has kind of been an example of someone who really likes to play both sides and keep everyone happy and eventually that catches up with you and eventually you can't keep that up while having intellectual honesty and i think hank smith accidentally became too intellectually honest for a moment and it ruined him and so i i only it only ruined him because he allowed it to ruin him by the way i mean it, it, he just wasn't emotionally ready for this the, the backlash and that's too bad but if he was ready for it then he'd be fine i mean he's only as he's only as cancelable as he wants to be i mean i don't know whenever you've got a job and someone's your boss you, you're as cancelable you're as cancelable as people want to ruin you I well mean, i guess they have i don't really want to get into the whole debate of what it even means to be canceled because some people would say well once you get fired you're canceled but it's like we all have platforms i mean if he got removed from twitter and facebook and instagram then yeah sure maybe maybe he's canceled then but at the same time his job at byu if that were to 
go away, does that mean he's screwed? I don't think so. I think he could find other means of, of doing stuff. But I mean, I, I get it. it's not an ideal situation to be in. Granted, I don't think BYU is going to fire him for this. I don't. I don't think at all. He may have gotten like slapped on the back of the hand or whatever, but I don't know. No, I mean, if you have a reasonable boss in these kind of things, they're just going to say, hey, stop messing around with these clowns. Don't don't put don't put us in positions where we feel like this obligation to have some sort of public response to what you're doing. And they're probably just going to ask him to tone down his social media presence. And he's going to go back to being good old boring Hank Smith is what's going to happen. Probably. I kind of I, I I'm dubious of the idea that he even has competent bosses at BYU anyway. I'll be honest. I just think BYU is is falling by the wayside in my mind, dude. I actually have a a post that I've got ready to write up. I mean, I haven't written really much on it, but I've kind of started to do some background research on some things and talk to the right people and get in a better idea of what's going on at BYU. But at this point, I'm at the I'm at the point where BYU is a compromised institution in a lot of ways. And this is coming from somebody that, I mean, we talk about BYU sports because we're big BYU fans. We are diehard BYU fans. We watch every football game that we can. We watch pretty much all the basketball games and we're pretty in tune with everything. And I love the universities for for sports, but and I went there, and my family went there. I mean, I'm a I'm a BYU legacy child, but I look at them and I think those idiots down there are basically like they have so many professors that are wolf in sheep's clothing, wolves in sheep's clothing, because I, I'd almost prefer, and this is kind of going to be the the thesis the thesis of my post that I come out with. I don't know when it will happen. Whenever I find time, I guess with. And I need to have like a solid foundation of research built into it, which I don't have yet. But um, I'd almost rather have them go to the University of Utah at this point because the University of Utah clearly has a very prominent and well done and structured institute that is very present on that campus. And students have a great resource there that are members of the church. And furthermore, there are obviously very anti-Mormon sentiments at the University of Utah. But what my point is, is that's the devil, you know, and if you have a child that goes to a university at such a moldable age of 18, 19, 20, where they're still trying to figure out the world in a lot of ways, and whatever they learn from their professors can sit with them for a while, they're very impressionable to go to BYU and to think these people all think similar to me, to my family, they all have my best interests in mind, according to the values that I have and that I grew up with. And then they're telling you, well, guess what? these values that you know of, they're a little flimsy. Like they're, you know, they don't really, they don't really coincide well with the rest of the world. And that's what it's all about. It's about being good citizens of the world, according to the contingencies of the world. And so there I'm sitting here thinking about this and I'm like, I'd rather have them go to a university like Utah or even Utah state or UVU at this point, because that's the devil they know. They know to ignore professors that have a bone to pick and that have a clear agenda against the church and against the values that they were raised on. Whereas BYU, that's supposed to be incongruent with those values. And that's not what a lot of those students are getting now. They're getting professors that are compromised, that they're putting the world first, and that they're actually going against the grain of the gospel. It's crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. I, I, I agree with kind of the overall uh, I guess what you what you what you're getting at, but at the same time, I, I don't know if it's as much BYU's fault as it is just a byproduct of the world we live in now. I think it's very difficult for a university like BYU to exist the way that it always has in modern society, with just the way things are going in academia. And BYU's hands, to a degree, are tied because ultimately BYU relies on everyone else accepting their accreditation, everyone else accepting them as a legitimate institution. And the more the rest of the world goes a certain way, if BYU doesn't find ways to kind of appear to keep up with them in certain ways, BYU is going to be viewed as illegitimate and, and going to BYU is no longer going to be a prestigious degree to attain. And so I'm, I'm I, curious I where that, where they take the biggest hit in that regard though. I, Cause I'm not, I'm not sure what, these accreditation standards, because I don't think I would have been affected by accreditation standards, but like, I mean, I guess it comes down to which public institutions are affect, accepting undergrad degrees from BYU. I mean, is that part of it? And like, if you want to go to med school and you want to go somewhere else, 
could it get to a point where they look at a transcript from BYU and they say, well, that's not a school we recognize anymore? I, I, I don't know if there's going to be any like official ruling on that kind of thing, but just in general, when, you know, you have a bunch of ideologues out there and if it, I think just collectively over time, they might start to intentionally kind of sabotage BYU, sabotage BYU alumni to a point where BYU, in order to keep their de- keep a, a degree from BYU legitimate, they have to find ways to appease the, the mob in certain ways. And I think that's what's going on on a on maybe not on a on like a, a micro level, but certainly on a macro level, we're starting to see that to to an extent. And I, I don't know there's any good way BYU for B, for BYU to get out of that. I think they're just kind of their hands are tied. Do you think they could have uh, prevented it? it from getting to this point had they because I was actually talking to my mom kind of about this same topic and she thinks it it started to kind of unfold when um, Elder Holland was president of the university I think late 80s early 90s and um, he had kind of wanted to make what he had deemed like he wanted to make BYU the Harvard of the West and kind of make it so like they could really compete from an academic level which on its face is a pretty valiant goal. I mean, with that said, it's a very lofty one too. I mean, Harvard, let's be real. But um, so the idea behind that was to hire a bunch of professors that were real, you know, scholars, real researchers. Because if you're going to compete with Harvard, you have to really do it on their terms, which means that you really have to not necessarily emphasize and focus on the basic tenets of the gospel as professors, but rather researchers and scholars and be oriented from an academic perspective more than anything. And my mom, I think that's a great point that she's bringing up. And I'll actually have her on the podcast here pretty soon and uh, we can maybe hash some of this more out. But um, Well, we already kind of saw some of the effects of this with when the Big 12 was deliberating on expansion. And then that big story broke about the petition all these students made to Iowa block State. BYU from joining the big, yeah, at Iowa State, they got all these different uh, LGBT organizations um, to basically make a petition against BYU for joining the Big 12. And now I think some of that's trickling into not just sports, but also just the BYU in general is what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Um, but anyway, I think if that could, that could have been the catalyst, I guess, to kind of like that drive to compete on an academic level where, and then where you kind of lose your original identity of just being more of like a church school um, or at least just a church school. And you wonder like, there is a balance there, right? If you're going to have athletics, I guess you do kind of have to acquiesce to some of the demands of the world and the culture and society, not necessarily on, on the, on the level of what the big 12's gripe was. Cause that's, that seems a little bit ridiculous, but um, I just mean in the sense of, some accreditation standards, I guess. I don't know. I don't know like how hot of water they would be in if they were just be like, you know what, y'all can screw off and we're just going to keep being an institution with specific values that are tied to the church, the very church that funds us. Um, that is the board of directors are, are the brethren, the general authorities, the apostles, all that. Um, so I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting. I That could have been the catalyst. And just from there, just as this is essentially the results that we're seeing about 30 years later. That's very possible in my mind. Um, and I don't know if you can ever really go back. They might be compromised on a level that to me is just too uncomfortable for me to feel good about essentially maybe not sending my kids. I would, I would like to think that my kids were, you know, more would be uh, kind of resistant towards any of those beliefs that directly contradict their own values and not necessarily as impressionable. But at that point, it's kind of like, well, then why send them there at all? I don't know. I mean, if they're not going to be able to get like a real church experience, like I got in some ways, then just might as well send them to BYU, Idaho. Cause that seems way safer at this point. Yeah. Or, you know, we might just have to accept the fact that having the good old fashioned BYU experience that we had is no longer a thing. And <laughs> you know, send them to BYU, send them wherever. And it's just college is going to be different than what it used to be for, for LDS people. And that's just the, the new normal. Could be, could very well be. Anyway, did you have any other thoughts on this or anything else for that matter before we get into some BYU sports discussion? No, we can move on to that. 
Okay. Let's do that. I wish I had an, a, a transition of like a, a nice ad read or something, but I don't, I don't do sponsors yet. <laughs> the, 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 the thing that hosts this podcast is always asking me, they're like saying like, have your podcast, like search for sponsors. I'm like, I don't care. I'll be honest. So we don't have an ad read for everybody. Sorry, but we are going to do a rough transition over to BYU sports, which had big news this last weekend, obviously on Thursday, Zach Wilson became the highest draft pick of all time from BYU at number two, which is something we saw coming for the last few months. So it was no surprise. Um, Pretty cool to see. What was a little bit surprising was that BYU ended up having five draft picks overall in the seven rounds. I think it's around, what is it, like 260-ish, I think, maybe a little bit more than that, that overall get drafted every year, seven rounds, 32 teams, there you go. Um, and five players, th- uh, three of which came in like the last, what was it, 15 picks, roughly? Around there, yeah. And um, that, you were making the case, and we actually talked a lot about this. We had a pretty strong debate texting about this. You think that is a great referendum on kind of Kalani and just kind of how good this team was as a whole. I, on the other hand, think that it, I mean, it could be. I'm not saying it's not for sure, but I'm also saying that COVID variable is such a huge lurking variable, and I think it absolutely had an effect on some of those players getting drafted, whereas on an, any other normal year, they would have gone undrafted perhaps. Uh, I think Milne absolutely benefited from having a crap schedule to play against. I think Zach Wilson is legitimately a great quarterback, and I think his number two pick is pretty valid from everything that you see because his mechanics, like we've talked about before through the roof. But when it comes to Dax Milne making plays against subpar secondaries week in and week out, uh, yeah, he's going to look a lot better. His stats were never going to be as good as they were last year. So I understand why he wanted to leave with that said, I don't have any faith in Dax Milne making it. And I should, I think he should have never entered the draft, but whatever. Good for him for getting drafted. He gets, he gets some signing bonus money, whatever. What do you think? Well, I think the scouts that uh, picked up these players and the coaches and organizations that watched them play, I mean, they're perfectly aware of the schedule BYU played. They're perfectly aware of the fact that it wasn't as good as our typical schedule. Uh, And I I don't think it's fair to just say, oh, BYU players only got drafted because their schedule sucked. I think if that were the case, then (laughs) then BYU – then – Teams, players would just want to go to teams where they could play pl- crappy schedules every year, and uh, and obviously, you know, the, these these organizations can see through that. So I don't think that alone can uh, account for. Uh, well, I never said that though. Draft. I never said that alone. I'm just I'm just trying to throw things out there that could have been reasons. And there's no question that they look at stats. I mean, these scouts are looking at stats, and they're like, "Wow, Dax Milne over he got over a thousand yards last year, didn't he?" Well, yeah, but if all they cared about was stats, then Milne would have gone in the second round, but he went in the seventh round. Dude, what did I just say? I said it's not all about the stats, but it's a variable. These are all variables, and that's a variable that played in his favor, and maybe a little too much. So is my point, and I'm just saying that there's a lot. A lot of things, moving parts to this. You can't really look at one over the other. No, all, all I'm saying is, uh, I I think you know, using COVID as some kind of asterisk against BYU, I I think they, they legitimately got five guys drafted. Well, they and definitely I, I legitimately think, got five guys drafted. There's no question about that. Yeah, and I I mean I, I think this to me what this draft shows is that with all the doubts about BYU this year and saying oh it was just a schedule or it was just that it was just COVID, I think you know BYU tying their all time record for a number of drafts pick draft picks in a season. I think in seven rounds BYU, by the way because they should have more. Yeah, yeah. At one uh-huh. point, I think this demonstrates that this team was as good as advertised and they probably earned that number eleven ranking. I mean they had as many draft picks as Clemson. Uh, that's a pretty impressive uh, stat considering what BYU has to work with. So are all draft picks created equal then? No, I mean, obviously, you know, we had three picks in the seventh round, but. Not only that, but like the last, within the last 15 picks, like in the last half of the seventh round. 
Well, yeah, but then BYU also had like seven or eight or I think even nine guys picked up as undrafted free agents. So we had a lot of good players on this team. I mean, almost, you know, I would say the majority, the majority of the starters on this team were good enough to get a chance in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, and that is what they're getting. They're getting a legitimate chance at the NFL, and I tip my hat to them. I just, I don't know. I I mean, at the same time, I will even say COVID affected BYU, but it affected everybody else as well. And now, granted, it affected them in a unique way where all of a sudden their competition had declined drastically. And I think we can all agree that, you know, BYU's not scoring as many points as they did last year with their, if it had been their original schedule, their record of course is not going to be, you know, 11 and one. And one other debate you and I had that I think we can bring back on the podcast here is um, what this might say or what it might not say about Bronco and Kalani. Cause I know that's a popular debate topic, at least between you and I is kind of comparing those two coaches. And I know, you know, we, we both have pretty nuanced opinions on this. I think overall, you're a little bit more pro Bronco than me. I'm a little bit more pro Kalani than you. Obviously, we're I we're not I really. With that said, I would say I'm less. I'm not anti Kalani. You at some points seem kind of anti Bronco, but and maybe not anti is the good way of putting it. But you certainly you like Bronco less than I like Kalani. Like I like Kalani more than you like Bronco. If that makes sense. Well, and that, that, that's all I'm saying. I think we both have mixed opinions on both of the coaches. I sure. don't think it's like I sure. I love Kalani and hate Bronco and you vice versa. But I would say I'm definitely more positive about Kalani than you are, and you're more positive about Bronco than I am. Yeah. yeah. And Agreed. what I will say in favor of my argument being more of a Kalani guy overall, even though he has plenty of flaws and he hasn't fully proved himself yet. I agree with that. But in five years as the head coach, Kalani's managed to get now eight guys drafted. And Bronco, over 10 years as the head coach, got 10 guys drafted. And so now maybe Kalani will go five straight years and only get two more in. That's certainly possible. And then they would equal out. But on a per-year basis, Kalani seems to be outdoing Bronco in terms of getting his guys to the NFL. Now, obviously... Some of those guys that Kalani put into the NFL were Bronco recruits, and that should be taken into account. But Bronco also inherited a lot of guys from Croton that went to the NFL as well. So I think it probably balances out in the end to about 50-50 in terms of who's inheriting what from who. And you know, half the battle is recruiting the guy, half the battle is developing them into an NFL caliber player and, and helping them to get to the point where they can show their skills and get looked at by NFL teams. And so I think right while well, the jury's still out, it does appear that Kalani does seem to be a little bit better at getting his guys to the NFL. Maybe, but I I still think the big the biggest thing to consider is the lurking variable of the longevity, you know. And there's no question that the guys that Bronco has put in the NFL, in some ways, have been like they've been better than a lot of the recent guys we've seen in the NFL. Now, you know, there's, there's like the Brady hoax of the world or the, um, his teammate in the, on the Steelers, I'm blanking on his name, Brett Kiesel, like those guys, like you don't really recognize those guys. You don't really see them a whole lot cause they're linemen. And so they're easier, they're easier to forget about. Like it seemed like Lavelle had a ton of those guys, like the burly linemen that were just good. That had long careers, solid careers. Um, I, Brett Denny, uh, for he was under Croton, I think even had one of the, I think he's still in the NFL. Technically he had a freaking long career as a long snapper. Uh, I think mainly yeah. for the dolphins, if I'm not mistaken, but anyway, um, oh. but my point is, is that longevity plays a big part of this in terms of just like, to me, what means the most. And I think, um, when you see like Jamal making an impact and certainly things seems like he's going to have a lot more years to come still Kyle Van Noy as well making I mean like what three time Super Bowl winner Kyle Van Noy uh one time Super Bowl winner Daniel Sorensen making a huge impact on the Chiefs obviously um Taysom that goes without saying I mean he's been the talk of the town sometimes for the Saints I mean he didn't go drafted but he was a Bronco product obviously granted I guess you're giving Kalani the credit because Bronco gets credit anyway I get what you're saying but well my well, overall point is that sometimes like the jury is essentially still out like you could say something about draft picks, but I think it really means more to like what the the effect that these guys have on the NFL personally. 
Well, or, you know, I think what really matters about draft picks is your ability as a coach to go out and recruit high school kids and say, hey, look at what we've been able to do with these guys. And I think probably longevity sure plays a role there, but I think ultimately being able to stick a number in their face and say, hey, we're getting this many guys drafted a year. I mean, that's what that's probably what's helped Utah in recruiting so much is they've been able to put more guys in the NFL under Kyle Whittingham than BYU has during that same time. And as a result, Utah's won a lot of recruiting battles. Now, how much of that was the NFL thing? I, I'm sure some. I of think it it's was. more Pac-12 thing, personally. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that plays a role too. Um, but I mean, even with the longevity, I mean, if we go down the list of people that got drafted under Bronco, I mean, you have Todd Watkins. He was a quick in and out of the NFL. John Beck kind of flamed out, unfortunately, even though he is a freaking genius when it comes to knowing the quarterback position. Uh, yeah, he's Brian actually, Sheila. he, by the way, on, on that note, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. this because I was listening to a podcast the other day with um, Ryan Rosillo talking with, um, I want to say it was Chris Sims, I think. It was either him or Todd McShay. It was somebody that's like well-known analyst, like always in the know for the NFL stuff. And they specifically said John Beck is coming on the scene as like a great football, specifically quarterback mind, quarterback trainer, like quarterback whisperer. Like he's doing it, he, like he's making an impact. So yeah, you do say he's he is a great quarterback mind. You're not wrong. Maybe yeah, BYU well, needs to hire that guy as a quarterback coach or something. No, he's better than yeah, that. Well, obviously. Uh, and now he, he at this point he would need to get like a head coaching job to ever take a BYU job. I'm sure he's making so much money doing that quarterback crap. True. Um, I mean, look what he turned John that Wilson into. I mean, that's that kind of says it all. He gets most of the credit there, yeah. right? I mean, who knows where that credit comes from? I think you know you got to hand that out probably evenly among a lot of people. Um, I don't. I mean, I, it did seem like he got most of the credit for that, though. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the offensive system helped a lot, and Zach Wilson's own dedication. But that story of him going to San Diego like every weekend or whatever, just like they wouldn't stop about that. And yeah. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. I keep. Well, mind you, John Beck. You know, for for the record, John Beck was originally a Croton guy. I mean, I'll still give Broncos some credit for him. You're right. Um. Uh, Brian Keel, he had a great career in the NFL, probably five or six years. Beck might have um, actually he, almost even been a Lavelle guy. That's not impossible. He might have been, yeah. Because, yeah, John Beck would have, I think his first year as a freshman, he might have been um, with Brandon Doman at quarterback, and then Beck went on a mission and came yeah. back. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, and then Vakapuna, I don't think he lasted very long. Austin Colley could have been an all-time great, but he got too many injuries. Same goes for Dennis Pitta. Um, you had Harvey Yunga. Um, I don't think he lasted very long. Uh, yeah. Ziggy Ansa was a great one. But very good. Uh, yeah. he, that's probably the one you can point to as in, in terms of this, for the sake of this conversation, that's actually the best reflection on Bronco and with drafts and things like that in the NFL. That Ziggy Ansa story is incredible. What they saw in him yeah. and what they were able to turn him into. Fifth, fifth highest tied the highest draft pick of all time from BYU. Do you know the other one, by the way? Um, the other one would have been McMahon. Yeah, McMahon and uh, would have been 82, I think, for the Bears, I believe. can't remember. I might be getting and that then, year wrong. Might have been an 83. I'm not sure. Okay. And then to round out the list, you have Van Noy, who's obviously kicking butt, and then Kafusi. And then after that, you know, they would go under Kalani's name. So, yeah, I'm, I don't know if there's like any like hard and fast way to say, you know, Kalani's better than Bronco in this regard. But if we're just going by the numbers right now, it, it does appear that Kalani's doing something right. I mean, I don't want to get too much into the comparison, but he's he's doing something right. And hopefully he can keep that up. We'll see what happens. Yeah. No, you're and you're not wrong about that. I, I think and that's something that it's, it is a nice reminder for guys like me. I've been a critic of Kalani, obviously. Not a harsh one. Like, I don't think I've taken cheap shots on the guy. I actually really like him. He's a very, very much a BYU guy, which was something that Bronco never was. So you love seeing that in your head coach. Kalani seems like the type where he's like, I want to be the next Lavelle. I want to stay here forever. Like, he doesn't even seem like he'd go searching on for the next big thing, um, even if he could. So I do like Kalani, and I'm glad he's our coach. I wish him the best. I just just don't want to turned a blind eye when I feel like I want to think about things critically. And, and, but as I've say that it is a nice reminder that at the end of the day, five guys got drafted, a lot more got signed. And that is a great reflection on BYU and what they were able to do. And Kalani did bounce back. Granted, 
the schedule sucked. And if you really wanted to even go deeper in that comparison, sometimes the schedule sucked for Broncos years too. So, you know, mm-hmm. who the freaking knows? Croton, Croton in 2001, that schedule was a joke. Guys made oh. the NFL the next year. Like yeah. a lot of them actually. In fact, I think that year we had like four or five, not five, but I think we had like three or four draft picks that, after that 2001 year as well. Um, no, actually we, we had, we had five. We had, we had five. five. There you go. So, so yeah. Um, and that was a garbage schedule. So I, I, these things can't be ignored and it's out of Kalani's control ultimately. So you can't really say it's because it's a garbage schedule. It doesn't mean anything because it's still what he was able to do regardless. And I got to give credit where credit is due and he deserves that. So yeah. Fair enough. Well, I think one thing you and I both agree on is that this next football season is going to be a massive uh, referendum on on what type of coach Kalani really is because he just lost his star quarterback. He he lost a lot of NFL caliber talent, but there's still a lot of belief around the program that we have a lot of good guys coming in. There's still plenty of talent to reload. It really it shouldn't be viewed as a rebuilding season. It's really a reloading season and how Kalani can manage that with now a revamped schedule that's going to really test us. This is going to be a real measure of, is he the real deal or is he just kind of more of the same? And so that's right. And we actually talked about this a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago at this point we did, we talked, we debated about um, how good of a coach coach Kalani is. And I think we settled on that next year is going to be the most telling year that he will have yet in his career. I think so. Yeah, and we could have argued that was this last year, but then it got all messed up with COVID, so it was hard to really measure. And you know, he had a great season, but let's see what happens next. Now, one other thing I wanted to get to in BYU Sports World um, is uh, so uh, Matt Harms apparently posted a. I, I wasn't the one who found this. I don't follow Matt Harms on social media, but someone on Cougar Board had posted that Matt Harms was at the BYU baseball game and he was like supporting the team there and stuff and. I guess you can take that as some sort of indication that Matt Harms is maybe uh, leaning towards staying for another season. So I brought that up to you and it sounded like you were kind of on the fence on how excited you were about that. I kind of made the argument that Matt Harms, you know, defensive player in the year in the WCC brings a lot to the team that maybe doesn't show up on the stat line. And I think absolutely, if we're going to make a deep run next year or maybe meet or even be, uh, exceed our success from this year, I think Matt Harms would be a huge part of that. Uh, so I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, as I got to think about it a little bit more, um, there's no question that, and I even told you this, Harms' defense is way more of an impact than Harward's offense ever was. I just, like, I guess more than anything, my my attitude towards Harms was a result of him being so lengthy and not being able to do anything about it on offense. Honestly, he's, he's pretty reminiscent of of Rudy Gobert, (laughs) like where just Uh his presence alone changes the, changes the dynamic of opponents offensive scheme, which is great. And it seems like um, Pope and his staff have been able to really utilize that to their advantage where they position him well in that regard. It's just offensively. He's like, almost useless and i really hated the fact that he came to BYU to try and become like a stretch five and be a better shooter and that just was awful and i'd imagine that was because pope was like okay we can try that and they tried it and they're like well this isn't working so okay not we're not gonna do that anymore but um so i i ultimately i agree with you that harms having harms is great just keep just don't and, and we didn't do this last season i'm sure we won't do it next season we just can't move the offense through him because it's pointless. It just won't work out for us in the long run. So, yeah. Well, I I think uh yeah they're gonna need to find a new strategy on offense. I think they're gonna need to make Loner a bigger and bigger piece of the the team, and hopefully he can really step into that role. And I then love they need Loner, to find. Man. Oh yeah, that that guy is gonna he he's probably gonna end up being uh the best pro prospect we've had during our lives at least you know during the post danny ainge era i i think he might end up are you forgetting jimmer i screw jimmer man (laughs) (laughs) well he but he was clearly the best pro prospect since danny the guy got drafted 10 dude you can't ignore that oh no yeah oh 
no, I know, I know. I'm not saying like, I mean, in hindsight, now, now that we know in okay, hindsight sure, that he really sure. th- that he really wasn't the greatest. But in terms prospect. of prospects alone, though, no one's going to be Jimmer. I don't think in our lifetime. I mean, that's not a, it's well, actually possible. Hoffa got drafted uh, sooner than Jimmer that's did. True. I think he was number eight, and then Jimmer yeah, was number did. ten. Yeah, it's true. But no, I, 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 yeah, I would, I would put Loner up there as a potential future first round draft pick. I mean, I think he could be that good. That's a pretty bold statement, man. If it, if it is, the only thing I'll say is if it is, it'll be definitely the second half of the first round. That guy's not going top 15, I don't think. I don't think he's anyway. Maybe, maybe. I, I mean, he would definitely have to step up a lot of parts of his game to be get into that, you know, top I personally don't think whatever. he is a first round. I don't think he'll get to that point. I think, okay. I, I love his style of play. I do. Um, I don't see as of right now, I don't see necessarily how it would translate as a first rounder. Uh, but he may have a place. He may have a spot on an NBA roster at some point. It's very premature to be discussing this though. Cause I mean, he did improve a lot just on last season alone. So it's going to be exciting to see how he improves as he stays at BYU. But anyway, we'll yeah. see. Big fan of Loner. We've, we've, just, we've, we've never seen a six eight guy with his strength move move the way he can. That's it's so why true. I'm so excited about him. Yeah. I mean, the guy he really is kind of a specimen. Like he moves so quickly, so well. He's so coordinated for how tall he is and, and for how light skinned he is. I'll just say it. Yeah, he's a white. He's kind of a, a white poor man's LeBron in a lot of weird ways. <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> he's as they might say, sneaky athletic. <laughs> yeah very sneaky oh so you mean he's white <laughs> yeah yeah he's white <laughs> well chaser do we have anything else to cover i think that covers it for today hey that was cons- that was a pretty efficient episode man i mean we went pushing 50 minutes but hey that was good that was good content appreciate it always um you uh you want to give any shout outs or anything or uh anything uh, that shout you out to, to uh to hank i hope he keeps his job <laughs> don't we all all right hankers we're with you, man. We're, we're with you. Chase, thank you for your time as always, and we will see you again in the future, of course. Thank you.